0: Hello welcome back. My name is Dr. Christopher Gennari, and this is Great Big History Podcast. In this episode, we talk about early settled civilizations. So when we talk about early settled civilizations, they have a problem. Before they're really settled, they got kicked off the step. They got kicked out of good food zones. So how do you survive when food is not readily accessible? These are the people who we talked about who got kicked out by the people on horses. These are people who either never had horse breeding abilities or moved into places that weren't good for horses and thus lost their horse breeding abilities. So what do you do when you, how do you survive when you don't have enough food? And the answer is to domesticate plants, to cultivate and reproduce food which turns out to be much more efficient than finding it. But it takes much more time and energy. And you can't leave. You can't move on. You have to stay. You need to work your 15 to 20 acres of land all year round. So what's the effect of this? A massive increase in food. A hundred times more food per acre. It's so massive that today the world is settled. There are essentially no more um, nomadic peoples. And the nomadic peoples got defeated by the musket in the 1500s and then completely by um, the Industrial Revolution in the 1800s. So nomadic peoples have been forced to settle mostly into poverty but you get a massive increase of food. Now, it's just like, it's not, hey, you just flip a switch and domesticate plants. It's, you had to figure out how to do it. It was a long process. In fact, women were very, um, very important in that process, but the effect is still the same. You have a massive increase of food, which allows for more food security. For the first time, you had surplus. You had more children living to adulthood because they had more calories. Now, we're still talking like 20, 30, 40, 50% of children die before the age of five. In nomadic societies, it might have been 50%. So we're talking like 30%. We're still talking an immense amount of children die before the age of five. But more survived in settled societies than in nomadic societies. It also allows for a surplus of production that hundred times more food per acre than you had in nomadic peoples is more than you could eat in a year. Now, not a lot more. That 15 to 20 acres turns out to be about what a man with the strength of his back and few tools can farm. And it's also about the amount of land needed to produce enough food to feed a family and have a little extra this is what's called subsistence agriculture you have enough that you can eat as long as everything goes well and you have a bit extra and that bit extra allows for personal wealth and savings and that's protection against future disasters that's all savings is is a protection for when things go bad so if you have a a really good harvest and you have extra well the time when you have a bad harvest you can eat that extra you have savings for when things go bad it allows you to get a better lifestyle because you could save that extra or you could sell it make some money and then buy stuff that makes your life better. So now you have more possessions, which makes sense because you're not moving. So you don't have to worry about carrying things anymore. You could stay in one place, and the more you stay in one place, the more you accumulate over time. And because you're now working land, that is your land, that's yours to work, you can now, when you die, leave that land or leave that surplus to the next generation, to your children, and that builds generational wealth. So over time, the rich get richer. Wealth builds over time. It also allows for new jobs. Remember when we had hunter and gatherer? Well, there were two jobs, hunter and gatherer. Now you need people to create production. More specialized forms of production for farmers and for the various other jobs that are now going to be created. So farmers farm, sellers are going to sell, craftsmen make the tools. So you have different craftsmen making different tools. Sellers are going to sell at a bazaar. Well, they need tents. They need so now someone needs to make the tents. They need boxes to hold the the food. Well, now someone has to make the boxes. You get coopers. And so you have to make barrels. You have to make someone, the surplus needs to be stored. So now you need a way of storing it so that rats and mice don't get into it. So now you need someone to make the storage. And so you get all these new jobs that most people, 90, 95% of people will be farmers because the food, while being more efficient, isn't that much more efficient you still don't have a lot of extra. So 90, 95% of people, 95% of people are gonna be farmers, right? Where today, less than 5% of people are farmers, and we have more food than ever before. So that's what industrialization does, that's what specialization does, that's what professionalization does. But in the ancient world, you're talking 90 to 95% of people will be farmers, And then 2% of the the remaining, so let's say it's 90%, because 2% will be your elite, your rich, rich people who don't work. They either own land or they have a very specialized political job. Then you have your sellers, your merchants, that's going to be a couple of percentages. And then the rest of that will be your craftsmen who are going to make stuff. But most people will be farmers, and so you need people to make stuff for farmers. So this sounds great. So who loses out? Well, women lose out. Why? Because they are simply not strong enough in the ancient world. There's no machines, really, for the back-breaking labor of farming. And so women's labor is becomes less important remember how in hunter-gatherer societies it was more important than men's work now it's less important and so what happens is women become dependent on a man's success remember generational wealth well your wealth as a woman is tied to your father's wealth did your was your father wealthy then you'll be wealthy as an adult as a daughter and then as an adult. Was your father poor and a drunkard? Well, then you're in trouble. Through no fault of your own, through nothing that had to do with you, your lifestyle is now tied to the success of first your father and then your husband. The backbreaking labor of farming meant female labor was worth less and women lose rights. They are increasingly stuck in secondary jobs to the household success. They are feeding the chickens. They are never not working, like maybe the richest of rich women are not working, but they're then running a household. Poor women are always in this class, always working. They're just doing jobs that the society looks down on. They're raising children with one arm, feeding chickens with the, with the next what also happens in the society is individualism replaces communism now both of these are both quotation marks around them because it's not the modern concept of either individualism or communism but the idea is in communism in in nomadic societies everyone contributed well now we have individualism your farm produces food for you your labor equals your success now that's not always true and we're going to talk about that in a second but the idea is i work i make i succeed on my labor it's me i am not tied to other people and so while we live in a community and we're going to talk about why we're going to live in a community you can't be no man is an island you have to live with other people first of all you need the craftsmen to make tools for you let's start with there And then remember, there's nomads out there, and we'll talk about them later. So you can't be alone. But at the same time, you are less reliant on other people for your survival. Individual production plus your individual decisions equals your success. Now, that success has a lot to do with luck. Does your father live to an old age? to pass on generational wealth, or does he die at 22 when you're three years old? Does your husband live or husband dies? Is there a flood? Does that flood wipe out your farm or miss your farm? Is there a typhoon that destroys your house? Is there an earthquake that destroys your land, kills all your animals? Like, there is a lot of success... That is not tied to your labor. And ancient people, there is no libertarianism in, the, in these worlds. There's none. Because nobody believed they could survive on their own. They are all tied to other people. And we'll talk about why they are. So if you're a libertarian and you're like, oh, this is paradise, this is where people, men constructed their own, they made their own success. No, not at all. Everyone knew their success was tied to luck. Who lives? who dies, what natural disasters happen, and what don't happen. You know, but there is increasingly the idea that as an individual you matter. That's not true in hunter-gatherer societies. In hunter-gatherer societies, the group is more important. In settled societies, increasingly the individual has a more important role, or sees themselves as having a more important role problems nomads know how need food and they know how to fight farmers farm they don't fight they lose their hunting skills when they were hunter gatherers because they're in lands that are aren't very good for food and they lose because the land is not very good for horses any horse skills that they had plus the horses are way too expensive you can't own enough land to feed the horses enough for war and the horses that are being used are too small for farming. You know, big plow horses, they don't exist. They, too, they need too much food. So what is the situation? If the nomads need food and they know how to fight and farmers farm and they don't fight, do they fight nomads? And the answer is no. You don't fight nomads. If you fight nomads, the nomads laugh at you and then murder you and then take your food. Now, the nomads will come looking for you sooner or later. If you've ever watched a bug's life as a kid, you know this. The locusts are going to come. Why? Because they know where the ants are. You are a farmer. You can't move. You have to work those 15 acres. So sooner or later, the nomads are going to see you and be like, when they're looking for food, come across your village. And go, ha ha, when we need food, we'll come back. So you need to avoid battle. But you can't run away. Because if you fight the nomads, they will laugh at you. Ho, 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 and then kill you. That's bad. You don't want that to happen. The last thing you hear on earth should not be a man on a horse laughing at you. If that's true, you have done something terribly wrong so the solution to this is walls walls why why you build walls because horses can't climb it is that simple nomads will not get off their horses why because they would lose their advantage remember we talked about tactical advantages and strategic advantages the moment they get off their horse they lose those they're just a dude off a horse so they're not going to climb the walls they're not going to lay siege There's no point to it. First, they don't have the food to lay siege. And second, they're not going to climb the walls. They want to stay on the horse. So if you want to protect yourself from nomads, you need to build walls. And those walls will provide protection to people. But walls cause problems. They cause two problems. Who do you get to build the walls? This is a problem in economics called the problem of the commons. If... It's in no one's interest to build the walls, because if they're building the walls, they're not farming, which means they won't make the food, which means they would starve. So why would they take time to build the walls? So that's one problem. And the second problem is. What goes inside the walls? You don't have enough money. You don't have enough. You can't enclose your farms. So. What goes inside of it? You're going to build walls. Okay. It's a big circle or a square. What goes inside of it? Obviously not farms. Farms are too big. You can't do it, but something's got to go inside of it. So what gets to go inside and who gets to decide what gets to go inside? Because whatever's inside of it is going to be protected. So we'll talk about this stuff. The second problem is nature. A reliance on nature. Farmers need nature to work for them. They need the sun to shine, but not too much. They need the river to flood, but not too much. They need bugs to eat stuff, but not too much. So the answer is polytheism. It's religion. Polytheism. Multiple human gods. These are human gods. Even if they, iconography-wise have animal heads like the Egyptians or the Hindu gods. They are understood to be human in their, in their aspects, in their thinking, in their interactions. Why? Why would you want polytheistic gods? Well, one is you want a specialist, you want an expert. The god of the river understands the river. You don't want a generalist. You don't want a God who controls everything because then they're not good at anything, right? So you want a specialist. You want a God who controls the river. You want an expert, a God who controls the sun, a God who controls drought, a God who controls rain. Because the second thing is because that God is human, they are understandable and you can negotiate with them. The God of the river is human, which means they want stuff. They act like you, they want stuff like you. I can negotiate with them. You don't make the river flood and I will give you stuff. And that God says, okay, what are you gonna give me? And the answer is sacrifice. Now, what form that sacrifice takes can be different. There are um, Phoenician gods who want child blood. There are other gods who want animal sacrifice. There are other gods who want money. It depends on the god. It depends on the civilization. It depends on the situation within the civilization. Um, for the most part, most gods want animal sacrifice. Animal, you know, they want good barbecue, and it's a sacrifice because it's supposed to cost you something. It's not really important what the thing is. It's the idea that you're giving something to the God that you need. So the God is more important than you. That's the important part about sacrifice. That's why we call it sacrifice. And we don't call it a bribe or a, or a payment. It's supposed to be something you need. So it's expensive. But. What that means is your relationship with the polytheistic gods is a contract. You give them three goats, they give you rain. And that's the deal. What are the advantages of this? The advantages is, is local gods have local power. You can see it in nature. The god of the river makes it flood, but not too much. The god of the sun makes it sh- the sunshine, but doesn't cause drought. You get rain, but not too much. And local gods have power over local stuff. Two, human gods actually want what you have. You've got three goats. They're hungry. They want your three goats. You don't have to go on an adventure. You don't have to go to Sicily and bribe and pay for and come back with... The human gods want what you have. So they're understandable. You can negotiate with them. You can you could talk with them. You can get things from them. You can understand their motives. Three. You get a sense of community. Everybody participates. Rain falls on everybody. Which means everybody sacrifices. Which means you have parties. You have festivals. You do it together. Everybody participates. And that brings people together. And with multiple gods, and you cannot underestimate this, in a dangerous world where, you know, um, a storm can wipe out everything, one of these gods has to like you. You've got five, eight. The Egyptians set the number at 12. You've got 12 gods. One of them has to like you. Think of Odysseus in the Odyssey. Poseidon hates him poseidon wants to drown him but athena will save him so when poseidon's like i'm gonna sink his ship athena's like well i'm gonna send a dolphin to save him and poseidon says well i'm gonna send a shark to eat your dolphin and she goes that's great i'm gonna send a giant pelican to lift him out of the ocean and she's like he's like well i'm going to create a storm that's gonna knock the pelican." and they're like well we could do this all day Because no matter what you do, I'm going to counter it because Odysseus is my homeboy. And Athena is like, I'm going to protect him. And Poseidon is like, I'm going to kill him. And Odysseus is like, please, I'll do whatever you want. Just let me get back to home. But one of them has to like you. And that's protection. That's good for you. What about disadvantages? The disadvantage is your gods don't have power in foreign lands. So when you go on trade, when you go to invade somebody, when you go somewhere else, you're in a land of other gods who don't like you. They may not like their own people, that's fair, but they don't like you. So you have to be very careful when you go to other places. You have to respect the Egyptian gods in Egypt it's their home field advantage so when we see war we're going to see a lot of religious aspects to war because there's a lot of like my God is better than your God kind of thing and a lot of home field advantage as well so that's going to matter in how people see strength and weakness and power the second thing is human gods have human weaknesses like you could understand them but they're human, and so they might, be, they might be strong and honorable and kind. They might also be selfish and easy to anger and unreliable. You know how you have friends who always show up 20 minutes late? There are gods who will always show up 20 minutes late. They have human weaknesses. And in an advantage, they have human strengths, and you can understand them. But the disadvantage is they have human weaknesses, and you can understand them too. You know they're going to betray you at some point. They're gonna let you down because humans let you down. Third, one of them is 12. One of them is very likely to dislike you, and there are evil or trickster or death gods. Everything dies, so there's a god of death, which means that god is gonna get you sooner or later. That god does not necessarily like you. He may not hate you, but he doesn't necessarily like you either. So when you're futzing around with a cow, you know, playing tip the cow, the death god is like, you know, maybe this cow kicks you right in the head. Not He's not necessarily going to be there to protect you. So if there's 12 gods, one of them very likely you've angered at some point. You've done something. And besides, you might not have done anything to that god. You might just be cool, you might be the homeboy of another god who's got to fight with that god, and so the enemy, the, the friend of my enemy is my enemy, type of thing. Four. There's the lack of privacy. Everybody participates. Well, what if you don't want to? What if you don't want to sacrifice? You don't have a choice. You're a freeloader at that point. Because remember, rainfall's on everybody. But it's in your interest. Remember the problem of the commons we started talking about, we'll talk about later? It's in your interest to not sacrifice. Why? Because if you could keep your goats and it still rains, you are three goats richer and you got the rain. But if everybody thinks that way, then nobody would sacrifice goats and it wouldn't rain because you would upset the gods. So it's in everybody's interest to make sure everybody participates, which means you can't have privacy your neighbors are going to start knocking on your door. Hey Billy, Billy, uh notice you haven't sacrificed any goats yet. Uh got to get got to get on that. Uh we have till tomorrow. You know, then tomorrow comes and it's going to be your neighbors. Uh hey Billy, it's all of your neighbors on the entire block and by the way, we brought the priest. going to get the going to get the uh sacrifice done. And that's in the morning. By the afternoon, it's All right, it's everybody and the priest, and we're coming in and we're taking your goats. Now, you notice I mentioned priests. Why? Because they know what the gods want. It's their job to talk to the gods. It's their job to read the signs. You're a farmer. You're illiterate. You don't have time for this. You don't have time for war. You don't have time for religion. So you are reliant on professionals to tell you what the gods want. Now, I will get students who will say, oh, this is a giant scam. It's totally not. Can you think of anything more useless than a priest who is wrong? So the priest says, sacrifice three goats. All right, I'll sacrifice three goats. I sacrifice three goats. Each of those goats is, let's say, worth $1,000 in today's money, right? So you just sacrifice, you burned $3,000 worth of money, right? Went up in flames. Well, if it rains and doesn't flood, you're great. You're going to make $50,000. It was a good, It was a, it, it's the tax. It's a, it's a sacrifice you're willing to make, right? Because you made out $50,000. So, okay, you made $50,000 minus the $3,000. You made $47,000 in profit. That's a good investment any day of the week. What happens if that priest says, spend $3,000 and then it doesn't rain? Now, unless there's very obviously people who did not sacrifice their goats and you can blame, you're going to look at that priest and say, WTF. And that priest is now in trouble. That priest is not going to keep his job. That priest is now useless. So what do you do to that guy? You beat him up. Obviously the gods don't like him. So you beat him up. Maybe you kill him. It depends on how angry you are. So it's not a game. It's not a sham. It's not a lie. These priests need to be right, which means they need education. They need to know in order to tell the people what the gods want. The problem is is that it makes people reliant on priests. People can't do it on their own. They can't talk to the gods on their own and know what the gods want. So you're reliant. You're dependent. In a way you weren't as a hunter-gatherer, you are now dependent problem. How do you solve the problem of solving problems? Someone needs to pay people to build walls. Someone has to pay people to study and build a study space for the priests. Someone has to get everyone to contribute to building this stuff. Again, someone has to solve the problem of the commons. Who's going to do that? Can't be farmers. Farmers can't do it. It's not going to be a democracy. It's not going to be a group. It's going to be a king. It's going to be gritty. It's going to be king. Who gets to be the king? How do you make a king? How do you make the burger king? Well, you start out with super rich guys. Why? Because super rich guys have enough money to buy off people. They don't have to listen to other people. They're not dependent. They can use their money to pay off other people. And they have homeboys. They have enough money to have homeboys, right? Draco Malfoy is both rich and has homeboys. So what does that mean? It means gang warfare. It's Draco Malfoy and his homeboys versus Harry Potter and his homeboys, right? That's essentially the last two books of Harry Potter. So super rich guys and their homeboys will fight each other because some super rich guy will say, I know how to solve the problem. Let's do this, and another super rich guy's gonna go, F you, man, I'm not listening to you, I hate you. Let's do B, let's do X. And a third rich guy is gonna be like, F both of you. I know what to do. Well, when push comes to shove, what do they do? They fight. And so their homeboys fight, and what happens is a mafia family war. It's gang warfare, it's Big E versus Tupac it's the Starks versus the Lannisters, until there is one person left with the legitimacy to collect taxes, which is the contribution to build the walls and the temples, then to pay people to build the walls and temples and be priests, then to build an army of mercenaries to attack other people's walls and take their land. All of that, if you have one person with that legitimacy, they gain a new governmental power nomadic chiefs never had and that is coercion the ability to punish people who don't contribute to society correctly now what happens if no one wins what happens if you don't the gang warfare just keeps grinding on or all the super rich guys are like hey we don't have to do anything let's just be independent and be libertarian and not rely on government at all Well, if no one wins, there are no taxes, there are no walls, there is no protection, and sooner or later, nomads come and murder the men, rape the women, and kidnap the children. And your society gets wiped out, and we don't talk about you in History 101. Which is why libertarians can say, oh, libertarianism works. Well, all the people who were libertarians died because they got wiped out by nomads in around 6,000 B.C. So... As long as you ignore all the societies that got, got wiped out in history, then, yeah, I suppose, yeah. So what happens? Now you've got a king who can collect the taxes to pay people to build the walls. Remember, why do you have to pay people to build the walls? Well, they can't farm. So if they can't farm, why would they build the wall? They need the food. So the idea is I will pay you more money than you would make as a farmer so you could buy all the food you need and have some extra. So how do you do that? You collect taxes from everybody else. Everybody contributes. And that solves taxes, solves the problem of the commons. We need a wall, but it's in no one's interest to build a wall. Well, the king is gonna say, I'm gonna make it in your interest. I'm gonna pay you to build a wall. So it's now in your interest, because I'm gonna bribe you. We get the wall, society gets to survive, everybody contributes something to it, and the workers don't have to starve. So that's how taxes solve the problem of the commons. So we get walls, we get polytheism, we get kings. What does this create? Cities. We get a dense, rich, urban place separated from the rural, poor farmers. And what's gonna go in? Remember, we talked about what's going in those walls? The rich people's stuff, the palace, the temples, the trade. And what's not going in it? The farms, the poor people's stuff. So if you're rich, your home goes in the walls. If you're poor, your land and your homes are outside the walls. Can you be protected? When the nomads show up, yeah, you—you you, an alarm will sound, you'll run into the walls, you'll be protected. Is your house protected? No. Nomads might burn it down, they might not. Are your pigs protected? Absolutely not. They're going to take your pigs. They're going to take your sheep. So, but, that sucks, but you survive. Which is good, because remember, if you fight nomads, you lose, you die. So we get cities, which is this rich urban area inside the walls separated from the rural. So the rich from the very beginning of civilization are separating themselves from the poor, physically segregating themselves from the poor. This will equal success. The cities, you have to have a city with walls in order to survive. Remember, sooner or later, nomads come and kill you. If you don't have walls, that's what they do. If you do have walls, they come, they run around your walls for a little while, and they steal your pigs, they steal your cows, they steal your sheep, and then they leave, right? Because what they want is food. They'll, they'll kill you for the giggles, but they want the food. Well, this equals success because you survive. So more people equals you need more land, which equals you have wars with your neighbors, other settled peoples with walls to control that land, and more importantly, that food. Remember, because you're more people, the more people you make, the more food you have to grow, which means the more land you need to cultivate. Sooner or later, when you go up or down the river, you're going to run into your neighbors. And your neighbors are going to say, well, I need this land. And you're going to say to your neighbors, well, I need this land. Well, how are you going to decide who gets the land? You're going to fight. Which equals war. And you're gonna to have to create armies because the your neighbors have walls, you have walls. How are you gonna defeat your neighbors? Well, you have to break down those walls, which means you have to lay siege to those walls, which means you need an army of mercenaries or to t- because if you take all of your farmers and put them in the army, now no one's making food. So what you end up doing is hiring professional. You hire people who know how to fight. You put out a call, hey, I need fighters. And young men who don't want to farm or young men who have no land or young men who, because being a soldier will actually pay you more than a farmer, but it might get you killed. It's more risk. will join up and they can spend three, six, nine months laying siege to walls until like Jericho, the walls come tumbling down and you murder everybody inside those walls. Then you take the land and one king controls many cities and that creates a kingdom a kingdom is one king in charge of many cities and then what happens is those kingdoms bump up against each other which equals more war and they fight each other and so one king controls many kingdoms and that creates a quote-unquote empire and you get the title the mesopotamian title called king of kings they don't have a word yet for the roman idea of an emperor an imperator So what Cyrus will call himself, what Ramses will call himself is king of kings. I am a king of other kings. And that meant emperor. That meant empire. So war continues to be this natural state of men. And continues to be the most expensive thing humans do. And so government is always in need of money. Government doesn't build the walls and then stop taxes. It always needs more money. Because it always needs to fight wars against its neighbors. So you're never really done. So war continues to be a thing that men do. And it continues to define success or failure. Slavery or freedom. So when we talk about history. A lot of history is military history because. Men fight a lot of wars. Now, we're going to talk about a lot of other kinds of history, but it's important to know that in solving these problems, the problem of food, of more people, of simply having more people survive, forces kings to have to fight other kings, forces societies to fight other societies, in order to take their land, take their money, take their supplies that they need because there's not enough surplus. Now, when there is enough surplus, we're gonna talk about trade. Hey, I got too much gold. I will give you some of my gold, but I really need like salt and fish and timber. And you've got a lot of that. And so we're gonna see trade start growing. But there's always this need for money. Always this need for money. Always this need for wealth, whatever it might be, whether it's barter or it's coinage or it's gold, plate, or it doesn't really matter. Whatever this wealth is, governments are always going to need it. Because they're always going to need to pay people. They're going to need to pay people to pay, build the walls, then fix the walls. They're going to need to pay priests, right? That never ends. They need to buy they need to build a temple for the priest to hang out in and to study and to learn. And that temple needs to be fixed. You know, every couple of years and and it's an ongoing, there's always this need of cash, always this need for money because the society always needs stuff. And so. Kings gain a new power, which we talked about, which was coercion, they can make people pay or punish them, which a tribal chief could never do. Because, first of all, everyone contributed in a nomadic society, it wasn't in anyone's interest to not contribute because you would be ostracized, you'd be kicked out of the tribe. So it was in everyone's interest to to contribute, whereas in the individuality of a kingdom, it's not, and that's the problem of the commons. So civilization, settling down, did a couple of things. One, it hurt women. The worst thing that happened to women in history was the best thing that ever happened to people in history, agriculture, domesticating plants. It created cities. It created kings. It created religion. And polytheism. All to solve problems. So in our next class, we're going to talk about Mesopotamia and Babylon and what happens um, as things develop. What, What that success turned into over long periods of years, hundreds of years, thousands of years. Okay. Thank you very much. Be safe. Take care. Thank you for listening. Good luck.